Before we get to the regular episode, I wanted to hop on here really quick and just do a little accountability corner um, for our last episode. I was re-listening to Mary Queen of Scots part two and got to the part where I made the joke about the baby formula shortage and legit that made me cringe a little bit. Um, It was very very ill-timed when we recorded it. I was not fully aware of the nationwide shortage that we are actually experiencing right now. So I just wanted to come on here and say that joke was made in very poor taste. I am very sorry that I made it. I know there are a lot of parents out there struggling to find baby formula. So, um, This is me holding myself accountable. Nobody else has done it so far, but uh, it just felt like the right thing to do. In light of everything else going on this week, um, I hope you enjoy the conclusion of the Mary Queen of Scots story, and I hope we at Difficult Damsels are able to bring you a little bit of levity to your lives. It's, It's been kind of a dark week. Enjoy. Have you listened to my TikToks that I sent you yet? I have. Like, from last night? Wait. I don't know. <laughs> I, I sent, feel like I did. I sent you one. Oh, oh goodness. It's fine. <laughs> oh, my God. You sent me more. I did. Well, one of them, one of them oh, is. Oh, she's great. I, yeah, I like. Um, who is she? Because we're recording. Oh, yeah. Piper CJ. Yes, on she's TikTok. Hilarious. She does all the folklore videos that one was funny the girl in midsummer who has no idea yes (laughs) i know that was me that was great (laughs) oh it's like oh it's drug tea oh it's drug tea okay (laughs) so you saw the tiktok i sent you about the um greek goddess that even zeus was afraid of nyx the goddess of night yes i like nyx just because of her name i had her on our list of goddesses Goddesses to to cover yeah Yeah, i kind of want to do another one of those episodes soon so stay tuned maybe possibly yeah, definitely <laughs> anyway Eventually. welcome to a difficult damsel a difficult dance did i still do it yes you do yeah it's, it's fine it's cute i'm rachel i'm cat and this is a podcast about <laughs> as i'm drinking water thing or it's not really water badass women from history oh yeah hell yeah hell yeah i hope i put a question mark on the end like i'm not really sure what our own podcast is about questionable maybe yeah the whole life is questionable (laughs) and we are on episode 38 which is mary queen of scots part three i was getting ready to cheer and you made it like a weird pause i had to hold my break (laughs) part three don't worry we have the microphone plugged in i'm not guaranteeing that's gonna fix anything but (laughs) right yeah we'll have to make sure we stop the just to make sure we don't lose anything i don't think it was i honestly don't think that it is the recording. I think it's the fact that the microphone stops picking shit up, but then Anchor doesn't realize that, but then it only record. I don't know. I'm making this up. I don't actually know what that means. I, I mean, you sounded very confident, <laughs> Thanks, so I was believing that- you. Oh. Oh. Don't bark, Thor. 
I know that was loud. Oh, it was a car outside just revving. It was a car. I think it was the wind. Someone's banging something. Oh. Someone in my patio area? No. I will fight you. (laughs) (laughs) She will fight you. I will fight you. (laughs) You can't just show me my house. I mean, Finn is. Probably someone dropping off mail, honestly, actually. Yeah, I think it's my Amazon package. Oh, what'd you get? Uh, More of those swim capri things. The who? The swimsuits that are capris. Oh, gotcha. (laughs) I have (laughs) cat litter being delivered. It's super exciting. Oh, I got uh, (laughs) podcast related. I got new notebooks. Specifically? (laughs) Specifically for, um, because I'd been mixing all my notes in with like my regular writing notes. Yeah, awesome. it's, it's does it get problem. confusing? It gets, like, is this mine or is this? <laughs> yeah, it gets very confusing. So now I'm gonna have separate notebooks. Hell yeah, <laughs> they're black. They're beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I have so many notebooks, but I refuse to write in any of them. I have a lot of notebooks. It, you know, I'm a Virgo, and you would think I would be organized, but all of my stuff is split across multiple <laughs> notebooks. And so when that I actually right. <laughs> get the time to sit down and start writing again i'm not gonna be able to find anything oh no i i did that like i have like this you know those like little like tiny um composition notebooks yes like the pocket-sized ones oh. i had one that i was writing in yeah and it was there was no order it was like oh idea idea yeah idea and i'm like going through it i was like i know i have this idea and then i have like one of those steno notepads and i was just like i couldn't find my ideas so they're there somewhere yeah that's exactly how mine is i'm gonna have a whole bookshelf full of notebooks now. hell yeah but i am rachel's chaos <laughs> pretty much the only chaos I'll contain, rachel allows in her life i'll contain to me. one shelf <laughs> that's pretty much the tree yeah 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 you're not as chaotic as you think you are. Oh, really? That's good to know, I think. Yeah, no, you're actually, surprisingly enough, Kat's very good at communicating. I am. I my, I got my review and my boss said I was really good at you, You're very good. You Until she couldn't, I didn't answer the phone. She's like, well, I'm rewriting, rewriting it. I was like, I've already signed it. You can't do that. Um, I've learned a lot when it comes to um, communicating from you because oh. you're very good at it. You know, I can tell when you're nervous sometimes. Because I get frantic. <laughs> yeah, I can I can tell. I can, like, I mean, because I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't but, know why I had to whisper that so creepily, but it had to happen. It's the same with a lot of my friends. Because we all have, like, even if it's not the same trauma, it comes out in the same way. Yeah. So I'm always like, oh, you're trying to assert a boundary <laughs> with me, but you're scared. So I, because I, I do that to you. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, dude, you're fine. Thank I you for telling me. Think about the way you say it because I know that like words are important. Yeah, <laughs> and the way you word things is very important. And I especially hate wording things in text because it, you know, you I can, could write it a certain way and you could read it in an entirely different way. I had a friend make a request of me, and you're welcome to try this. Um, <laughs> she asked me when I'm asserting my boundaries because when I text, I, I sound more uh, firm and yeah. I think assertive. Um, to use voice memos instead because then you can hear the inflection of tone. So you're welcome to do that with okay. me. Yeah. I've been trying to do that more with people. It's yeah. it's a little scary, but... I've had to assert a boundary on you in a really long time. I just really well, wish everyone saw the weird, awkward face I know, that I just I made like, you. <laughs> maybe I got to assert a boundary. Hi. No, but oh. I think I've just been better about not being passive-aggressive, hopefully. Yeah. 
and <laughs> therapy has helped because I don't oh, yeah. take shit personally. Yeah. My therapist um, <laughs> actually this past Monday said something that really resonated with me and I've been oh, sharing it with a lot of people. Um, but it's self-preservation is not selfish. Yeah. It may look selfish, but it's not selfish. It's not at all. Like yeah. if you have to assert that boundary, do it. And if the other person reacts poorly, that's on them. Yeah. I learned that a while ago. Like I do, <clears throat> obviously, you know, I do very much look out for my, like I am always very vocal about my needs, but I also like in the back of my head, I'm like, they're going to hate me forever. I know. Same. <laughs> Listen, um, if if they're if truly they you, they're not your friend. <laughs> if they're truly your friend, they're gonna want you to be okay and they're not gonna hate you. Do you guys love how differently the same thing came out of our mouths. <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to Therapy Treehouse right. with oh, Rachel and Kay. Had, yeah, I haven't had a therapy treehouse in a minute. <laughs> well, there we go. We've I gotta find my therapy treehouse drawing. You do, I it's beautiful probably in one of your many notebooks it's probably i think it's on actually one of my notebooks like on the top because it's sticky yeah Ugh. well um are you ready to hop into the conclusion yes of mary queen of are you Scots? gonna remind me what happened because i don't yeah I, mean, I remember but i don't remember so at the very end of it all um remember lord darnley kind oh, yeah, of pissed everybody oh, yeah. off yeah and then he was murdered he was murdered murdered um <laughs> I hope you guys understand that, like, all of the podcasts we love come out in our own podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a, my favorite murder reference. Um, likely, Mary was at least aware of the plot. And then... Jasmine's aware of the plot. Hi, Jazzy. <laughs> um, Just walk all over us. And then Bothwell entered the picture and kidnapped Mary. Oh, yeah. I and liked it for, like, five seconds. They got married. And then it got weird. Well, and then there's little Dick John. He's still in the picture. <laughs> little Dick John is still very much there. So um, I'm going to pick up with Bothwell because I don't know if you remember, but I promised to talk a little bit more about that because we didn't have time in the last episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me hear about this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so much has been made of the relationship between Mary and Bothwell. Some stories tell it as a love story. Bothwell was five years older than Mary, a proud Scottish nationalist, and a powerful lord with lands close to the English and Scottish border. So I hate to say it, but the guy she should have married first. Pro yeah. Yeah, yeah, a Protestant <laughs> Scotsman might have been a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, but well, yeah, he would have been your typical kind of rugged Scotsman with plenty of experience in both warfare and Scottish politics. Now I'm just thinking about Outlander. <laughs> right the layers yes um i don't I, I had to kill a couple of my subscriptions oh, it's aggressive <laughs> well i just i was i was trying to save money where i could because of the car payment yeah so i haven't been able to watch the new season of outlander i know it's a bummer I completely like forgotten <laughs> i will remember when it comes up on Netflix, in the so last like, oh, season yeah. but yeah i'll watch it yeah. once it's yeah. caught up but anyway, so unlike Mary, <laughs> this is not a podcast Tangent. about Outlander. <laughs> there are Scots in this, though, so you're welcome. Bothwell was a Protestant, but it's been suggested he was a Protestant out of convenience more than anything else. So that would also make him a pragmatist, conforming to the religion of the status quo to not draw any unnecessary aggression towards him. Um, I already don't trust him. As mentioned in the last episode, Bothwell supported Mary's mother, Mary of Guise, during her regency, which automatically meant he clashed with the other Protestant Scottish lords. 
<laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> so she's like, okay, I married I married a Protestant Scotsman by force, but also like the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So the only thing we might really be able to speculate with any actual certainty is that Bothwell likely presented himself as one of the few Scottish natives that Mary could actually trust. She was Queen of Scots by the age of six days old, but raised in a foreign court believed by the Scottish nobility to be frivolous, excessive, and wicked. I mean, yeah, she's definitely French. (laughs) (laughs) She was also a Catholic queen in a Protestant country. Even her own half-brother, the Earl of Moray, had turned on her at one point. (laughs) And he at times openly mocked Mary's more tolerant and temperate form of governance when it came to dealing with traitors and criminals. So that's something I didn't mention. Weren't you one of those traitors? (laughs) I didn't mention this in the past, but he often, when it came to traitors, he encouraged like the uh, most gruesome forms of torture and execution. You're not going to like Maury by the end of this. I (laughs) know. You're probably not going to like anyone. I don't trust anyone that I like in this podcast because like, I'm like, (laughs) I like them. And you're like, just kidding. I'm like, damn it. Like, just wait. Um, And then of course there was Darnley you know, who she couldn't trust either because he wanted to take her throne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How weird that he was, like, really pushing for you to make him king instead of king consort, which he barely deserved. So Bothwell might very well have been her only true advisor, um, but were the two of them actually in love? The reality is nobody actually knows. So as mentioned, many historians (laughs) cite the 50-mile horseback journey Mary made to visit Bothwell when he suffered an injury in a skirmish Some claims she made for the castle like a madwoman sick with heartache over an injured lover. Um, But what they conveniently leave out is the fact that she embarked on this journey approximately six days after he suffered the injury. She's like, oh, I have to go (laughs) save him. Her horse is like at a canter barely because she can't slow it down because it's all excited. And she's just like, oh, well, you'll also remember (laughs) here's the thing supporting the fact that she could have loved him. She was six months pregnant. Oh my God. When she made that journey on horseback. Why didn't she take a carriage? <laughs> well, here's the other thing. Also, she's like, get better. See you later. Well, okay. <laughs> so to your carriage question, she was also a very skilled um, horseman's woman. Horseman's woman? Horseback horse rider? Woman? Horsewoman. <laughs> horsewoman. <laughs> she was very that skilled. That sounds weird. I don't like it. <laughs> I, she was, okay. She was very skilled on horseback. She was skilled She was as comfortable in a saddle as she was. Yeah, you can be comfortable in a saddle until on the you dance get floor. pregnant. And then everything changes. <laughs> Your little baby's like, what's happening? Well, that's what her enemies would say. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I'm lost. <laughs> okay, here we go. So long before Darnley even entered the picture, it's been suggested that Mary's half-brother, um, Moray, also resented Bothwell's influence over Mary. And before Darnley was around, he actually had Bothwell imprisoned. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Bothell ended up fleeing to France for a couple of years, so this was early in Mary's reign. Okay. And Maury used that as an excuse to persuade Mary to put down a rebellion by one of Bothwell's friends, who happened to be one of Maury's personal rivals. When Bothwell returned to Scotland, it was just as Mary's marriage to Darnley was deteriorating fast, and Bothwell had been among the leading lords that promised to help rid Scotland and Mary of the Darnley problem. How very convenient for him <laughs> that his timing was so perfect. Do you think Mary's like, I'm all out of love at this point of time? Like that song's playing in the background? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Keep that question in the back of your okay. mind because Mary is going to answer that question for okay. you. 
Actually, I think I took it out of my notes. Son of a bitch, Rachel. Okay, so (laughs) I'll just paraphrase. In one of her letters to Elizabeth, she basically, like, justifying her actions in marrying Bothell, she basically said, I am incapable of ruling Scotland alone the same way you have done in England. So I had to find a husband. That's fair. Yeah. That's very fair. Not long after Darnley was murdered, Bothwell intercepted Mary as she was on her way from Linlithgow Palace to Edinburgh with 800 men. He told her that danger awaited her in Edinburgh and urged her to come along with him to his castle in Dunbar, where he promised to keep her safe. From here is where the details get a little muddied. Some suggest it was nothing more than theatrics to give legitimacy to the idea that he was kidnapping Mary. Others say that Mary was genuinely surprised and knew she had no choice but to go along with him. Again, this is one of those things we don't know. Yeah. We just know he showed up with a bunch of men and carried her away. Problematic. Again, according to Mary's own account, after the fact, Bothwell had raped her while she was at Dunbar Castle. That's... <sighs> Mary's enemies would later say this was a lie Mary told to justify the marriage that followed, suggesting it was done to preserve her honor. Others will claim that Mary was madly in love with him from the start and married him of her own free will. Fuck those uh, first people. This is is the case with most of the information we get about women from history. A lot of times it's written by their enemies. Yeah. So. Ugh, God. Yeah, we're all worried about her keeping her honor. (laughs) Kidnapping assholes. (laughs) (laughs) When Mary married Bothwell, she anticipated that her nobles would approve of the match because she had finally chosen a Scotsman and a Protestant to boot. But as it turned out, the marriage was not popular at all. You can't win! Catholics were quick to denounce the marriage. They were concerned that Mary had chosen a Protestant and aghast that the marriage had been performed with the Protestant rites. They also claim the marriage was outright illegal due to the fact that Bothwell had divorced his previous wife only 12 days before the marriage. Remember that? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So much is problematic with this dude. He's like, hey, babe, guess what? There's a free woman available and she'll give me more power. And she has a crown. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, And this is a big no-no for Catholics. What? (laughs) That's where they draw the line? (laughs) The Protestant lords were also against the marriage, citing the quickness of the marriage to Lord Darnley's accused murderer as being especially suspicious. I wanted you to say especially heinous. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is where you're going to roll. You're, you're going to roll your eyes at this. Oh, so, okay. I've already been rolling my eyes, by the way. <laughs> um, these same Protestant lords had been present with Bothwell at Cragmiller Castle when they pledged to rid themselves of Darnley. And this is also around the time that rumors started to come about that Mary had been complicit in murdering her previous husband, because why else would she marry the man accused of murdering him? It was not a good look for her. And of course, contemporaries of the time were all too happy to throw around names like harlot and adulteress and murderer. Great. Cool. Mary's popularity within her country quickly diminished and within weeks 26 members of the Scottish peerage openly denounced Mary as queen and raised an army against Mary and Bothwell. Wow. You um, know, all those people who were like in the room when they were like plotting to get rid of Darnley, they're like those people on Facebook who like have all the words on Facebook and on social media, but then when you get into real life, they're real sweet. And you're like, what the fuck? It's going to get worse. No. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just, just, just you wait. Great. So on June 15th, 1567, Exactly one month after the two had married, 
Mary and Bothwell led their supporters at the Battle of Carberry Hill against the rebels that were known as the Rebel Confederate Lords. By this point, they though, the worst they do. <laughs> Mary and Bothwell's support had significantly dwindled. The only major family to come out for them had been the Hamiltons, and everyone else sided with the Confederate Lords against Mary and Bothwell. Shit. The rebel lords standing against them claim they acted to revenge Lord Darnley's murder. You guys wanted him gone! You didn't want him! Several of the lords <sighs> standing against them had previously signed the Ainsley Tavern bond two months ago, which had A, acquitted Bothwell of the murder charges, <laughs> and B, put him forth as the most appropriate choice for Mary's next husband. Oh my god. These guys are assholes. They're literally just like, yep. oh, this is our move. Like, this is our time to shine, guys. Lords of the Confederate Conquisition or whatever the hell they <laughs> were last I don't know what they were last time. It was Confederate conquistadors? I don't yeah. know. Conquistadors. <laughs> Um, no, what were the, the lords? The congregation. That's lords of the was. congregation, confederation. Yeah. The confederate lords <laughs> of the congregation. <laughs> These same lords that now fought against Bothwell had pledged to defend that marriage should an event such as this occur. How weird. Yep. Hmm. She's like, hey, you see this? <laughs> yeah, she's like holding up the piece of parchment paper like, um, you signed this. Do you know how to read it? <laughs> In the end. Mary's forces took position atop Carberry Hill with a handful of cannons that had been brought along from Dunbar Castle. Okay, so it sounds like they had the advantage. <laughs> Her supporters carried the banner of the Lion of Scotland. Get your phone out. My phone is here. <laughs> the Confederate lords had created a new banner specifically for the battle, and it depicted the murder of Darnley under a tree, and their infant son off to the side with the motto, Judge and revenge my cause, O oh Lord. This is the worst drama I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> That's a real banner. The kid probably drew it. The kid, they're like, hey, kid, draw this out for can us. You, can you describe it for us? It's terrible. It literally looks like a kindergartner drew it. There are gross poop colors. <laughs> Lord Darley is not colored and he's all white. Is that supposed to be really like, deathly pale? And then the sun isn't he like naked too or something? I I think his top is up or his he's got no pants on. I don't know. It's weird. There's a lot of a lot of questions I don't want to ask all of a sudden. This poor tree is like, what did I do? It's the greatest banner I've this ever is seen. Terrible. Did anyone did anyone while they were like walking to the battlefield be like, guys, maybe we shouldn't fly this? Can you imagine like seeing that on the battlefield? Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, okay. This oh my ridiculous. gosh, we will have this picture on Facebook yeah, yeah, yeah. for you guys to see. This is oh my gosh, this is terrible. It looks like it, like the whatever the words coming from the kid. It, it looks like a dream bubble. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Shit. I saw that. I when I like read oh, about the banner, terrible. I was like, I wonder if a picture exists. And sure enough, is this like legitimately the real banner? Yes. Like. Yeah, that's what does IHS mean? I in his inhospitable shit. <laughs> in his service, I don't uh, know. Maybe, that makes more sense than maybe, mine. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. I'm pulling that out of my butt. Well, this also was pulled out of someone's ass with these colors, or someone wiped their ass with it. Like, look, color. <laughs> now, for the next couple of hours, a stalemate followed. Mary's supporters had the unfortunate fate of melting under the hot sun without any water to drink. What? Her numbers began to dwindle as several of her supporters abandoned the field. Do you forget to bring water? Like, what's... Yeah, I guess, yeah. Where's the canteen kit? <laughs> Bothwell at one point offered up single combat to win the fight, only to refuse several of the Confederate lords who stepped up to accept the challenge. Bro, you can't 
put forth a challenge? Like, no, just kidding. So oh, Sir William Kirkaldy had been one of them. Oh, sorry, one more time. Name that name again. William Kirkaldy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, he offered well. he offered to fight Bothwell, but Bothwell would not deign to fight a lowly baron. Bitch, that is cover for, oh my god, you make me scared. <laughs> he gave similar excuses to the lords. Tutelberdine? Stop it. Tutelberdine. Tutel, Tutelberdine. I even spelled it out phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord Lindsay. Well... In the end... Those two names and then Lindsay. Wow. <laughs> I know, right? Lindsay's like, hey, you can say that. So. In the end, no battle took place. When it became clear that Mary and Bothwell had lost, Mary allegedly agreed to surrender so long as Bothwell was granted safe passage to flee the battlefield and retreat into exile. He's your problem, babe. <laughs> the two would never see each other again. All right. <laughs> Bothwell would try to gather more support in Mary's name over the next year, but would eventually be exiled to Denmark, where he was said to have gone insane and then died a few years later. That's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but that's what you get for kidnapping someone. Now, according to the story, Mary's one last act of defiance was to kiss Bothwell goodbye openly on the field. Afterwards, Bothwell galloped off and Mary officially surrendered to the Lord Kirkaldi after the rebel lords pledged not to imprison her. <sighs> Mary was 24 years old. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? That was a manager at Sprouts and hating life at 24. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Mary was really hating life. <laughs> thrice married and twice divorced <laughs> at the age of 24. Ugh. Immediate... So I made some good choices. You okay. did. You made better choices than she did, for sure. Yeah. Immediately following her surrender, Mary was marched to Edinburgh, where a large crowd of people awaited her and openly accused her of adultery and murder. The next How is day... she accused of adultery? Like, what grounds... Do you have for She that? married Bothwell like a month after Darnley died. Her husband was a piece of shit and fucking <laughs> men do that all the goddamn time. <laughs> they do. Yes. But it's different when a woman does it. Oh yeah, like Henry VIII was literally like carrying on a, an affair openly with Anne Boleyn yeah, while all trying to like, divorce. Oh no affairs. And I'm like, that's all you guys do for fun. <laughs> like you don't have hobbies. It's just affairs. <laughs> The next day, Mary was moved to Loch Levin Castle and imprisoned in the Glasson Tower on the southeast corner of the castle. Um, remember, they told her they wouldn't imprison her? Yeah, they lied. Weird. <laughs> what? They didn't tell the truth? So, Says the guys who signed the paper that said they'd defend her? Weird. Loch Levin Castle was a strategic place to lock her away. The castle is an, on an island in the middle of a lake, making it very difficult to escape Honestly, from. that sounds great. Can I be locked in this? Like, Sure. Yeah, bye. <laughs> I think that castle still exists, so. Okay. <laughs> I'm going. <laughs> she was also trusted to the custody of Sir William Douglas, who had been the Earl of Moray's half-brother. Oh, my God. So, like, okay. Yep, I'm there. So... Is confusing. Moray and Mary were half siblings through her father. Yeah. And then His. Douglas and Moray were half siblings through their mother. Wow. All right. <laughs> Moray was so the king's bastard, that. basically. Yeah. So he gets special treatment. Oh. Remember, um, James V had like, oh, maybe I didn't tell you this, but he mm-hmm. had like a lot of illegitimate children. Mary has several, like, half-brothers all over Scotland. She's like, are you a half-brother? That would make me concernicus if I was trying to find a husband. I'm like, who's your parents? Who? I mean, she married her cousin. That's so. not wrong. 
Almost immediately upon arriving at Loch Levin, Mary fell ill with some suggesting that she had been poisoned. One week later, Mary miscarried twins <gasps> that had been conceived by Bothwell. Whoa. So that's where... Everything about that hurts. <laughs> so that's where you get all of the speculation about when she was kidnapped. Clearly, something had happened. Yeah. And that's why they think she married him. Mm. was because she knew she'd likely get pregnant from the encounter. And oh. that was the only way to preserve her honor. That's fucked. Yeah. And then, yeah, she had to bury her. Mm. Yep. Yep. Everything about that is terrible. A few days later, Mary formally abdicated the throne of Scotland to her one-year-old son, who would become James VI. In the initial letter she wrote to announce her abdication, Mary cited exhaustion of mind, body, and spirit from the yeah. past couple of months. <laughs> Try the past since six days old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing with Scotland. Apparently they like infant kings and queens. Because <laughs> they're easier to mold and melt to, to your, own, yeah. your own sadistic bullshit. Mary's half-brother, the Earl of Moray, was officially named as regent for James. Moray was out of the country at the time, so a committee of seven joint deputy regents was arranged until Moray could return to Scotland and assume the role of regent himself. It was decided the regency would last for 17 years until James VI came of age. Not long after, baby James was anointed and crowned the King of Scots. Can you imagine anointing a one-year-old? I mean, six days old or nine months before she went anointed. She was nine months, yeah. Still, they're like, "Oh, we've been here before. We know how this works." Like, Should we just start making baby crowns? Like, <laughs> you, like you know how they have like steps and learning. Oh yeah, because steps and crowns, like Cause, cause baby in crown, infant toddler crown. <laughs> in France, like the crown was so heavy, they had to like hold the crown. For yeah, the you would squish a imagine? baby with a crown. Like <laughs> it's like a it's like a <sighs> necklace for them. Yeah, they're like, oh, this seems dangerous. <laughs> Over the next year, Mary remained a captive at Loch Levin Castle, but she did not remain idle for long and made several escape attempts. Ooh, fun. Every time she made an attempted escape, she disguised herself as either a laundress or a servant. Um, but the first couple of attempts failed because someone recognized her, usually because they would notice her petticoats were very expensive. And Go, get rid of the goddamn petticoats. Yeah. <laughs> Pack them away. <laughs> Now, the key to her escape ended up being William Douglas's brother, George Douglas. Oh, my gosh. It turned out that George had developed a little crush on Mary. Stop it. <laughs> Remember when I said she was disarmingly beautiful? Yeah. Well, apparently Mary was astute enough to recognize it and used it to her advantage, and gradually winning him over. Enough. She's like, why? She's like, you know Turning what? You've all on the womanly walls. You've all fucked me over, and apparently you all want to fuck me, so yeah. I'm well, going to start it. using it to yeah. my advantage. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Good for her. On May 2nd, 1568, Mary managed to get herself smuggled outside the castle dressed as a servant. Maybe this time she, she wore got rid of the petticoats. The cheap petticoats. <laughs> um, and she got in a rowboat that was waiting for her. George was waiting for for her with an armed escort of 200 men on the other side. Um, and they <laughs> fled to Nidri Castle, where they hoped to scrounge up new support to help Mary win her throne and her crown back. Wow. So right. it worked. She's like, <laughs> as it turns out, not everyone was happy with Mary's abdication, even among the Protestant nobles. Huh. From Nidri Castle, yeah, Mary... they don't want a one-year-old running the fucking show? Well, they don't want Moray yeah. running the show. I was going to say, well-liked is Moray, because he seems well-liked, but like... 
Well, apparently, in the year that he'd been regent, he pissed off enough people because Mary and her supporters, um, they ended up getting joined by some of Scotland's most powerful nobles, including the earls of Argyll, Cassillis, Hamilton, Roth, and Eglinton. Do you show up there and go, where the fuck were you, like, a couple months ago? So, (laughs) I was thinking about that, and the conclusion I came to, this is completely on my own, I didn't read it anywhere, I think most of them just hated Bothwell, but they still liked Mary. Okay. Well Bothwell's out of the picture now, so he's already out of the picture. I know. But there was an easier way to get rid of him. In the end, <laughs> Mary had managed to gather a total of 6,000 men to try and help her reclaim her kingdom back from her half-brother and uh-huh. his forces. Uh-huh. A council of her supporters was then put together where Mary openly declared that she had been coerced to abdicate her throne and consent to the coronation of her infant son under the threat of death. Yeah. <laughs> the council then named Maury a traitor for having usurped the throne in the name of his nephew. Mary made her last stand for Scotland at the Battle of Langside on May 13, 1568. Unlike previous battles of the past, which were mostly stalemates, this battle involved actual combat in the middle of the village of Langside. For a time, it seemed as though Mary's army was holding its own, But in the end, Mary's chosen commander, the Earl of Argyle, lacked the military expertise to fend off Maury's army. How did you think this was going to end? I know. You know where she ends up. I just wanted one (laughs) silver lining, just one bright star in her shitty ass life. The battle lasted approximately 45 minutes before Mary's forces retreated from the field. Mary herself hung back in the rear of her army, guarded by an escort, and when they realized the battle was lost, Mary and her escort fled from the field and headed south. She ended up staying overnight in Dundrennan Abbey. Faced with the overwhelming fact of her complete and total defeat, Mary was left with very few options. Now, we are told she initially contemplated fleeing to France, where she knew she'd be able to find sanctuary, with her former mother-in-law, Catherine de' Medici, but it was quickly decided that such a trip would be too great a risk. Likely she would have been captured yeah. while on out to sea. And so she decided to look south and take a leap of faith that would forever change her life. On May 16th, Mary stole away onto a fishing boat and crossed the Solway Firth before landing on English shores. It would be the last time she ever saw Scotland. Cramp. Cramp. <laughs> When Mary landed in England, her first stay was at Workington Hall, which was right across the border of England and Scotland. Two days later, Mary was approached by local authorities and then taken into custody and moved to Carlisle Castle, supposedly for her own protection. Yeah, that's famous last words. Now, Mary was in a desperate position. Immediately upon arriving in England, she wrote the following to Queen Elizabeth. Fetch me as soon as you possibly can, for I am in a pitiable condition, not only for a queen, but for a gentlewoman. Mary was taking a huge gamble by fleeing south into England. It was only a couple of years ago that she had set her sights on a marriage match that would strengthen her own claim to the English throne. And she had, on more than one occasion, openly claimed that she was the rightful heir to the English throne as well. Remember when she put the English arms on her coat of arms? Yeah. (laughs) Queen Elizabeth found herself in a very awkward situation. There was no precedent for what to do in a situation like this. Mary was an exiled, anointed queen. Her role in the murder of Lorne Darnley was still a subject of debate. 
and she was a rival to the throne of England itself, where a huge Catholic faction within England regularly championed to have Mary put on the throne in Elizabeth's place. Mary's like, can you shut the fuck up for like five minutes? (laughs) (laughs) And Elizabeth knew this was a very real possibility, having been the figurehead Protestants put forth when her Catholic sister, Mary Tudor, sat the English throne. Before Elizabeth agreed to do anything for Mary, she ordered an inquiry into the murder of Lord Darnley and into the conduct of the Confederate Lords of Scotland and the alleged forced abdication of Mary. Wasn't that... She's like... Be overreaching, though? Well, Mary... Yeah, Mary would say that, but Elizabeth is also like, I don't trust you. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, you're, you're... You're basically putting forth an investigation into a different country. Yes. You can't do that. <laughs> well, if you're seeking asylum in England, yeah. she has to prove your innocence. Yeah, but... Ugh. Yeah, no, I mean, that your argument... Wars have been fought for less! <laughs> your argument is Mary's argument. Yeah. And that's pretty much the rest of this episode. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> so... There would have been very real issues of concern for Elizabeth, but she was also notorious for dragging her feet along and stalling to buy time for herself whenever she needed to. It is likely that she was doing so here. Do you think she had like special slippers? Yes. Dragging her feet would be like extra noisy. It's time to drag my feet. It's the feet dragging (laughs) slipper time! (laughs) Elizabeth would have been reluctant to take a fellow sovereign into custody, and it also set a bad precedent because, you know, she didn't want to give anyone else any crazy ideas for herself. Once the investigation was underway, Mary was moved further south in England to Bolton Castle and further away from the Scottish border. I just love how she's bringing her closer to England, like closer to the heart of England, but also like... (sighs) Yeah. Closer, um, farther away from the Scottish border, but still far from London. Yeah. Yeah. Still moving closer to London than England. (laughs) Or, Jesus Christ. Scotland. London is English. Scotland. (laughs) While Mary was being held under a house arrest of sorts at Bolton Castle, the inquiry into the death of Lord Darnley was held in both York and Westminster from October 1568 to January of 1569. The most damning of evidence brought against Mary was provided by her half-brother, the Earl of Moray. damn it, dude! (laughs) And these were known as the casket letters. What? (laughs) The contents of these letters included eight unsigned letters allegedly penned by Mary to Lord Bothwell, two marriage contracts, and several love sonnets. Oh, God. According to Moray, the letters had been discovered in a silver gilt casket approximately one feet long. One foot long. (laughs) um, And decorated with the monogram of King Francis II, who had been Mary's first husband. Why would you? Is it? You have questions. <laughs> so many. So Mary's like, do you really think people would believe that I will bury that shit? <laughs> so when they say casket, they just mean jewelry box. Well, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> Maury, I too put my jewels in a casket on my. It's wardrobe. just it's just a jewelry box. I know, but they call it the weird. casket letters. I actually have a picture, but don't look at it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> Moray traveled to York in person to deliver the letters of course um, to the conference being held. As for Mary herself, she refused to make an appearance at the inquiry, claiming that as an anointed sovereign, there was no court in existence that had any jurisdiction to try her. 
Elizabeth herself forbade Mary from attending as well, likely for similar reasons. Now, the letters proved to be incredibly incriminating, as they showed Mary openly colluding with Bothwell to murder Lord Darnley and the promise that she would marry Bothwell in his place once Darnley was out of Why the way. Why do I feel like these letters are written in very, very similar handwriting to what's his faces? Oh no, it was it looked it looked to be in her handwriting. You can fake handwriting. Cursed be this poxy fellow that troubleth me this much. He will not come unless I promise to be with him at bed and board and forsake him no more. And upon my word, he will do whatsoever I will, and he will come. It's one of her letters. That sounds really aggressive. The sonnets were presented <laughs> as evidence. Who just wrote to Queen Elizabeth how she literally was just like, I gotta marry this one. Like, <laughs> come on. <laughs> the sonnets were presented as evidence of Mary's love for Bothwell as well, conveniently providing legitimacy to allegations of adultery as they were allegedly written before Darnley's death. Literally want to slap people right now. Allegedly being yeah. the key word here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the bulk of the evidence for Mary's complicity in Darnley's murder hinges entirely upon the validity of the casket letters, and to this day, historians continue to debate them, and it remains one of history's greatest mysteries. That's history's mystery. Um, sorry, <laughs> that was fun. Um, have we not had, like, handwriting experts look at them? The original letters oh, ah, <laughs> had been written in French. Historians have spent hours looking over copies of the letters to determine their validity, noting that the grammar and the French language employed in the letters would have been too poor for someone with Mary's education. Others have noted that the style the sonnets were written in were very much comparable with the style Mary was known for utilizing herself. You can't fake that. Some historians have suggested that some of the letters were real, but the more salacious contents were forgeries added after the fact to lend some credibility to the scheme. Several contemporaries of the time and modern day historians write them off as being complete forgeries that were written by Mary's servant, Mary Beaton. Why does that name sound familiar? It's just one of her servants. We probably have heard of the casket letters somewhere in time, and Mary Beaton was mentioned. We'll never know with absolute certainty if she wrote them or not. In 1584, Mary's son, King James VI, had the letters destroyed, and all that remains of them is copies made in both French and English, and Scottish, I think. Um, So make of that what you will. When Mary learned about the casket letters herself, she was outraged and and claimed that they were forgeries used to discredit her character and justify her forced abdication. She also claimed that her handwriting would have been very easy to replicate. Another note, Mary and her supporters were denied access to the letters themselves, so they weren't able to look over them. Interesting. Contemporaries of the time had plenty of material to compare the letters with, and at one point they were delivered directly to Queen Elizabeth herself so that the English queen could compare the handwriting in the letters she received from Mary to the casket letters. She's like, do I look like a handwriting expert? <laughs> <laughs> She'd had enough letters from Mary that True. she likely could have been able to say yes or no. But even Elizabeth was like, I'm not sure. Following the trial in England, the letters were taken back to Scotland and then allegedly bounced all over the place for years before James had them destroyed. That's the part I find weird. Yeah. I'm like, why would you destroy your mother's letters? Like, 
I can't see him destroying them unless there might have been. You could destroy been. them because they're pissing you off because they've caused you enough issues. I don't, I, I don't know. And it's not very even, weird. Uh, but here, here's where it's also like, <laughs> so four translated copies survived after the fact that they were preserved by Elizabeth's chief advisor, William Cecil and his descendants. So everything we get of these letters comes directly from her enemies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. The casket itself is still currently on display at Lennox Love House in Scotland. I do have a picture, but hold on. God damn it. We're going to wait till the end because there's something else in that picture that I don't want you to see yet. In the end, the trial, um, which is known as the York Conference Inquiry, proved to be nothing more than a political farce. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth did not want to convict Mary for murder and and regicide any more than she wanted to acquit her. Convicting Mary would have resulted in her execution. Acquitting Mary would have meant freeing her. Elizabeth could not afford politically to have either of these scenarios happen. So you're just going to prison? And so (laughs) the conclusion of the inquiry delivered the verdict that all the evidence was inconclusive. Oh, shit. So that's happened long before. Long before today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was a deliberate political move. The Protestant nobility was preserved in Scotland, so that was one less thing for Elizabeth to worry about. In an alternate scenario, um, if it was determined that Moray and the other Confederate lords had usurped the Scottish regency illegally, Catholic nobles likely would have taken the country back. The country of Scotland. Yes. Moray got to return to Scotland as regent, but Mary remained in custody in England. How the fuck? Okay. Deciding that Mary's very presence in England made her a real threat to her own throne, Elizabeth placed Mary in the custody of the Earl of Shrewsbury and his wealthy and powerful (laughs) wife, Bess of Hardwick. For the next 15 years, Tutbury Castle would be Mary's new home. Interesting. So a little bit on Bess of Hardwick. Bess was one of the wealthiest women in England, due in large part to a number of very strategic marriage matches she made for herself. Married a total of four times, Bess seemed to climb up the social ladder with each subsequent marriage. So, um, I have questions. (laughs) What's your question? Did her husbands die or just suspicious (laughs) circumstance type death? Um, her first two... Fell. <laughs> died under completely natural causes okay, natural. <laughs> um, her third marriage to sir william st Lowe put her in direct contact with queen elizabeth as william had been the captain of her guard and chief butler of england oh. he did die under mysterious circumstances but it but was that position is also well uh it's another another scandal in history it's likely his brother poisoned him Bess had nothing to do with it. She's like, that's what's good, dude. (laughs) She did inherit a majority of his wealth, though, and when she married her fourth husband, George Talbot, the Earl of Shrewsbury, he was one of the most prominent English lords in the country. I can't get Shrewsbury out of my head. (laughs) It's a funny, it's a funny name. (laughs) Um, But that's why Mary was given to them. It's because they were very high, prominent English lords. As far as house arrests go, Mary was afforded a relatively comfortable one. Tutbury Castle was almost exactly in the middle between London and the Scottish border, and it was far enough inland that Elizabeth did not have to worry about an easy escape to sea. 
Mary was given access to all of Tutbury, along with Sheffield Castle, Sheffield Manor Lodge, Wingfield Manor, and Chatsworth House. As Sorry, a f- those all on the same land? I guess. Sure. <laughs> Look, I've got five houses. Pick one. So as a former queen in custody, Mary's status afforded her many luxuries, and she was permitted to keep her own domestic staff, which consisted of no fewer than 16 servants at any given time. That's aggressive. Who needs 16 people She's to a queen. What? Do shit yourself! <laughs> Queens don't do shit themselves. <laughs> what do you think this is? I... <laughs> She was allowed to keep her personal belongings with her, and anytime she moved from one house to another, it took 30 carts to transport Stop everything. It may be less than the load, sweet pea. So, she, yeah, she's very comfortable. <laughs> her rooms were decorated with tapestries, and she was also allowed to hang her cloth of state. Um, this was the canopy that typically hangs behind the throne, which was embroidered in French and read, In my end lies my beginning. She also kept her own chefs, which had 32 dishes on the menu at any given time and were served to Mary on silver plates. I have so many issues with this. While Mary was under custody of the Earl of Shrewsbury and Bess of Hardwick, Bess was said to have spent an extensive time with Mary. The two both practiced needlework and embroidery together and ended up creating a huge catalog of work known as the Oxburg Hangings. <laughs> These are currently on display <laughs> at the Victor at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. So yeah, that's all those tapestries. She she created that with Bess. I would die in this time period of boredom. Yes. <laughs> what 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 can I do in my free time? Well, you can embroider. Well, or you can cry. <laughs> over time, Mary was said to have played the Earl of Shrewsbury and Bess off against one another while she was in their custody. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> Mary allegedly told George Talbert that Bess had been stealing from him, and Bess would later claim that the two were having an affair. Whoa. So, though this specific rumor um, and romance has never been conclusively confirmed or denied, just know that, and Bess would later herself recount the accusation. Mm-hmm. Um, it just sounds like something petty. <laughs> again, Mary knew she was beautiful. She knew men liked her. She's also in captivity. She's not happy about it. So she's going to do whatever she can to play her captors off sure. against one another. And to add to the stress of it all, the financial burden was eventually moved away from the English crown and entirely onto the Shrewsbury estate. Well, and that began to take its toll on like, Bess and George. <laughs> Fucking serpents. Pick two. (laughs) (laughs) Despite living in extremely comfortable conditions, Mary was very rarely allowed outdoors and got little to no exercise in. That's fair. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Over the years, her health started to decline, and towards the latter part of her captivity, she developed severe rheumatism. Oh. Yeah, she also gained a lot of weight. Me too. (laughs) For the whole of Mary's imprisonment, a number of plots sprouted around England and Scotland both to see her restored to one throne or another. In England, it was discovered that the Duke of Norfolk or oh, it was discovered that the Duke of Norfolk was plotting to steal away with Mary so that he could marry her himself. Dude, do you remember how that worked out for the last guy? <laughs> Norfolk initially led the Conference of York that had investigated Mary's involvement in Darnley's death. He allegedly had been plotting to marry her even as that trial was underway. 
Queen Elizabeth had Norfolk thrown in the Tower of London for his part of the conspiracy. (laughs) Again, that didn't work out for you. (laughs) A year after Mary was taken into custody, her half-brother, the Earl of Moray, was assassinated by one of Mary's Catholic supporters back in Scotland. I want to be happy for that, but also, like, that sucks. (laughs) Almost immediately after, a rebellion broke out in Northern England from the Catholic supporters who demanded that they be allowed to practice openly. They also pledged to have Elizabeth removed from power and replace her with Mary. Oh my god, stop. This was precisely the thing Elizabeth had been afraid of, and although she was able to squash the rebellion after some time, it was a reminder of how dangerous it was to have the exiled Scottish Catholic queen on English soil. Yeah, especially when your rules are already pretty precarious. <clears throat> Elizabeth's chief advisors were especially wary of Mary. <laughs> her name um, and with the help of sir francis walsingham and william cecil elizabeth had a number of spies installed in mary's household so that they could monitor her movements and correspondences she's got 16 servants it probably is really easy to put a spy in there <laughs> yes it was <laughs> so a little bit on francis walsingham and william cecil why is there another francis <laughs> Um, These are Elizabeth's two most important advisors, especially for this story. So, Francis Walsingham. Advisors, even though she's not a queen? Elizabeth. These are Elizabeth's people. Okay. (laughs) So, Francis Walsingham was a member of the gentry that got an education in law and rose from relative obscurity to become Elizabeth's chief spy master. Ooh, fun. In the early 1570s, he was Elizabeth's ambassador to France and he got to witness firsthand the tragedy of the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, and it likely colored his view of Catholicism as he was a Protestant himself. Yeah, he's like, they don't like us over there. He was like, um, they're crazy, (laughs) and they murder us. That is fair. (laughs) That is a fair assessment to make. Walsington had also been exiled in Switzerland during Mary Tudor's reign, so he had every reason to fear an insurgency of Catholic influence in England. Yeah, he's not had a good time with Catholics. Walsington disrupted a number of plots made against Elizabeth's life and made it his life's mission to ensure that Mary Stuart never came to the throne in England. Because he knew that once Catholics were in power again, likely the... Shit would hit the fan again. We would have more wars of religion like France in England. That was his biggest fear. And his motivating... Yeah. Actions. Um, So William Cecil was Elizabeth's chief advisor, twice named her Secretary of State and Lord High Treasurer. Almost every policy created during the Elizabethan era was directly influenced by Cecil. One of his chief goals while in position of power was to unite the British Isles and bring it all under the banner of Protestantism. This included complete and total subjugation of Ireland, the effects of which are still felt to this day. Yeah, we still hate you. (laughs) (laughs) you can thank cecil for that (laughs) as well as an alliance with scotland like walsingham cecil did everything in his power to maintain protestant power in england and keep elizabeth on the throne and keeping mary queen of scots far away from it by any means necessary so these are two of mary's um biggest not so fans (laughs) yes (laughs) yes they are for this story, the antagonist. Cool. For Elizabeth's story, Fair. they'll be the protagonist. Hell yeah. Isn't that the crutch of being a protagonist and an antagonist? Yeah. It depends on whose story you're reading. Exactly. Cool. 
So things start to change for both English Catholics and Mary in the 1570s. Pope Pius V officially excommunicated Elizabeth in 1570, calling her the pretender queen of England and openly invited English Catholics to revolt against her without any consequences. That seems like a very religious move. Uh, well, yeah. Because <laughs> he knew if... Coming from a guy named Pius. He oh knew, my God, the irony. He knew if Mary was placed on the throne of England, she would bring England back into the fold with Rome. Fuck so it's know. not religiously motivated, it's politically. Yeah, under the guise of religion. Yes. <laughs> Although most English Catholics were reluctant to act on their end, the Pope's actions did inspire a plot known as the Rodolfi Plot. Named for Robert Rodolfi, a Florentine banker out of Italy and a fanatic Catholic, he determined that the best chance to restore Catholicism to England was through foreign intervention. Can you imagine if bankers were as cutthroat <laughs> as they were back in this day? Today? Oh my god, it would be terrifying. <laughs> I mean, they're not great today. I mean, but, but yeah, but they, they're, they're little dweebs today. <laughs> they're not terrifying. I mean, they... Uh, a, a true, like, person who knows how to move the stock yeah, market. Yeah, they're dangerous. Yeah. Now, this plot would have involved troops from Spain and the Netherlands invading in England to rouse the Catholic-dominated northern English nobility into rebellion against Elizabeth. Ugh. Key to the plot was Elizabeth's cousin, Thomas Howard, the Duke of Norfolk. It's Norfolk again. All right, all right. The dude who tried you, to marry Mary. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that every time a rebellion happens, Elizabeth kind of just, like, rolls her eyes, like, Yes, I think that's why when Mary came into England, she was just like, great, this is... She's like, just one... This is going to be my life now. One minute. I just <laughs> want one minute of none of this bullshit. <laughs> so we don't really have time to get into the politics here. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Norfolk was a Protestant that had previously influenced the Reformation in Scotland and oversaw the trial in York that investigated Mary's involvement in the murder of Lord Darnley. I did mention that. Mm -hmm. Over time, his male ego was bruised as his favor slowly fell with Elizabeth. Feeling undervalued by his queen, he secretly plotted to wed Mary himself and possibly place her on the throne of England with him at her side as her consort. Ew. Mary allegedly consented to the marriage, seeing no other way out of her predicament. She would later say that once troops arrived in London, it was her intention to go back to Scotland and reclaim her throne there. That's what she claims. Uh -huh. <clears throat> in the end, Norfolk himself kind of just chickened out, but Elizabeth's spy network managed to uncover his involvement. Also, interestingly enough, Cosmo de Medici, who had Ooh. been Catherine de Medici's hated cousin, also sent Elizabeth a letter to warn her of the plot once he uncovered it himself back in Italy. Interesting. Yep. All right. They're all writing each other. This isn't the Cosmo de Medici we're thinking of. No, 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 I know. But yeah, it's yeah. it's Catherine's. She hated him because yeah. he took Florence from her. That's a valid reason to hate someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so once Norfolk's role in the plot was discovered, he was taken to the Tower of London and then executed. Sorry. That's what happens when you try to marry queens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In response to the plot, Elizabeth's Privy Council attempted to introduce a new bill to remove Mary from the English line of succession, but Elizabeth refused to give her royal assent. Um, but from now on, from here on out, her trust in Mary, it just continues to yeah. 
get shattered. Yeah. Over the next decade, the relationship between Elizabeth and Mary soured. More plots would spring up in Mary's name, and Elizabeth's advisors would champion hard to have Mary executed in order to negate the threat. This is literally the crux of this story that no <laughs> one talks thinks about, about or talks about. Mm-hmm. Is like, these women did not hate each other. Everyone around them hated each other yes. and wanted them to hate each they other. They were used... <laughs> They were basically pawns. They're pawns in their own game. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's sad. why I I don't like most of the movies I've seen because it either focuses on the rivalry which yeah. existed, but it it ignores the religious implications of everything. I have a feeling the movie we're about to watch is going to do that. We'll see. I already know they meet in the movie, and yeah. spoiler alert: Mary and Elizabeth never meet face to face in real life. How interesting is that? Yeah. Like. Yeah, they're so but integrated. They in, integrated they, yeah, in they are. Lives, but like, yeah, they've never, never met. met. But they've written to each other all the time. Those letters they're still the exist. Original gaming friends. Yes, <laughs> the original pen pals. Yeah. So yeah, um, despite so, the fact yeah. that Walsingham and Cecil will constantly annoy Elizabeth and say, "Hey, you need to kill her." She's like, kindly fuck off. I don't need to do shit. Exactly. She refuses to sanction this because murdering another sovereign set a horrible precedent. Um, most European monarchs in general su- shun such an act. Again, see Catherine de Medici. Yeah. Hi, Jazzy. No mind her. She's just walking <laughs> across the laps. Oh, hi. It's You're fine. I'm, I'm her walking piece. It's, <laughs> it's cool. I'm used to it. Hi, baby. One of the things Elizabeth did to counter Mary and ensure Protestantism remained the official religion of Scotland was to see that James VI was raised in the Protestant religion by ensuring all of his regents were Protestant. This is James VI, one-year-old king? Yes. This is Mary's son. Yeah. In time, like, she began to write him over time. They developed their own personal relationship, and he would address her as mother in his letters to her. Mm Mm-hmm. Mary's like, mm, Mary, <laughs> Mary knew they were writing. Yeah. She didn't know that part. She I mean, likely would have taken great offense to it. Yeah. But it, it, at, at what point are you like, I've literally never like met you met yeah. my son essentially, but it's still her son. Yeah. But, and Mary had little say in how her son was raised. And as yeah. James grew older, he sought to distance himself from Mary. Yeah. As you should, because she's just caught up in all this. Bullshit? Yeah. At one point, James did write to Mary suggesting that he would fight to bring her back to Scotland if she consented to retiring as a dowager queen mother. Why would you not take that up? Mary was outraged by this. Why? As well as devastated by the treatment of her son. And she wrote the following. As long as I live, his queen and sovereign, without me, he is too insignificant to think of soaring. And then in a letter to Elizabeth on a good note like <laughs> she refuses i would love to retire as a dowager like would she okay so this is again my That's own conjecture i know i feel like she was so brainwashed and indoctrinated uh-huh. back in france that she yeah. will refuse to see herself as anything other than the rightful queen of scotland you have been a queen of france and a queen of fucking scotland yeah. like you were you're done twice you over were, a queen you were bad at it yeah, you didn't do great, but also, like, you have a chance to retire and get to know your son. So, technically, it is your fault that your son is now calling Queen Elizabeth mother because you refused this offer. 
she wrote the following to Elizabeth that she would never relegate herself to the status of a dowager queen and said, there is no king in Scotland nor any queen but me. From her house. Oh my God, girl, you're too stubborn. (laughs) Mary is like, you do understand that I have you. Like you're in my control. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe don't write this shit. I love how you're like team Elizabeth. I know. I'm trying so hard. You can't. I'm trying so hard. You can't not be like yeah elizabeth is doing it right she's doing the best she can yeah so in a very awkward situation yeah that mary put her she's in. giving everyone the benefit of the doubt where mary's just like i'm queen i'm like maybe sit down <laughs> mary's captivity continued to drag on for years Sorry. and over time it seems that elizabeth stopped responding to mary's letters yeah by the early 1580s mary's letters grow more frantic I am constrained to beg and entreat you as I humbly do, but my liberation out of his prison to relieve yourself from the continual suspicions, mistrusts, and prejudice from which my enemies daily trouble you against me. She's saying, I'm so sorry that Walsingham and Cecil keep poisoning you against me, but please let me go. Elizabeth is like, if you just backed up. Meanwhile. Backed off. (laughs) The plots against Elizabeth continued. Following another failed plot known as the Throckmorton plot, Walsingham introduced the bond of association and the act for the queen's safety. So these two acts obliged all peers of the kingdom to execute any person who did the following, attempted to usurp the throne of England, successfully usurp the throne of England, make any attempt on Elizabeth's life, or successfully assassinate Elizabeth. I'm sorry, who put that into play? Walsingham and Cecil. That is problematic. You can't give citizens free reign to do that shit because they will take it. No, he's saying anyone who attempts to assassinate or usurp the throne will be executed. It was not always a thing, though. Now it's put into law. Oh, for shit. reasons. Okay. Okay. So just remember, bond of association. Oh, that's an awkward name. Just keep it in the back of your head. Is this why Mary dies? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Walsingham and Cecil were very clever, and Elizabeth was very lucky to have them yeah. so fervently on her side. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, yeah, kings and queens, like, rule, but, like, your advisors is what makes mm-hmm. or breaks you. Well, do you remember when I said in episode two, basically, Elizabeth had the good fortune of growing up in the game and she had the good fortune of actually having advisors yeah. that cared about her yeah. and wanted to keep her on the throne. Yeah. Mary did not have that. She had none of that. <laughs> she had her stupid half-brother. Following the failed Throckmorton plot, Mary was moved to Chartley Castle where she endured a stricter house arrest. She was also prohibited from corresponding with the outside world. Ooh. The thing I didn't mention with the... um. Throckmorton plot part of it involved her Mary's cousin Henry the first of Guise that's Francois of Guise's son who helped to lead the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre his plan was to invade England and marry Mary for himself stop it guys And she's there just, is a line of dead bodies that says that that is a bad thing to do. She's she's just kind of collateral mm-hmm. damage at this point because yeah. she was linked to it because she was part of the. I mean, she's collateral plot. damage, period, because nothing yeah. is happening through her. It's just in her name. 
Later, Elizabeth would have Mary moved to Tutbury Castle. Wait, wasn't she at Tutbury Castle? Um, now I'm confused. Me too. <laughs> the final castle she ends up in, and I am so sorry because now I'm not sure it's Tutbury, but anyway... Um, it was in a considerable state of ruin, and during the winter season, the, sen- the conditions were said to be so bad that Mary became sick while being kept in a damp room that had no windows and no view of the sun. Oh, that's not great. Yeah. Ugh. In 1585, a new plot to assassinate Elizabeth was beginning to unfold. One of Mary's French supporters named John Ballard visited England on several different occasions in 1585 to feel out the English Catholic gentry and see if they would be willing to revolt against Queen Elizabeth and put Mary on the throne in her place. John Ballard promised the English gentry that he would be able to secure foreign support by way of King Philip II of Spain and the Catholic League in France. Again, the Catholic League was such an uber-conservative Catholic um, group that even Catherine de Medici was like, they're bad news. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Catherine de Medici, who was partly responsible for the St. Bartholomew's Day massacre, like, they bad. <laughs> like, they're very bad. Yeah. And they're all like, <laughs> you just killed 70,000 people. <laughs> yeah. Was it 70,000? I was anywhere from like five to 70,000, okay. depending well, on I, your sources. It was a lot of people. It was a lot of people. <laughs> and it completely like colored the perspective of Catholics in Europe during this time. Yeah. Um, Go listen to Catherine de' Medici part three. Yes, plug. (laughs) Sorry. Is it right to plug your own podcast? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, So Ballard, he still needed English cooperation to get this plot going. And finally, he did get an inside man. His name was Anthony Babington. Do you want to marry Mary? (laughs) (laughs) Not this time. Um. So Anthony Babington had been the man and he agreed to organize the English Catholics in Northern England to rise up against Elizabeth. (laughs) And this plot is known as the Babington plot. Stop it. (laughs) That name is great. Babington. (laughs) By this point, Walsingham and Cecil had grown tired of Mary. Although frustrated with Mary and the impossible situation she put her in, Elizabeth still refused to entertain the notion of executing Mary. I just love they grew frustrated with Mary. No, bitches, you grew frustrated with the idea of Mary. <laughs> they grew frustrated with constantly having to thwart these yeah. plots to kill Elizabeth. Yeah, but it's not Mary. It's kind of Mary's I mean, fault. she just existed. <laughs> True. <laughs> she was too stubborn for her own good to give up her non-existent throne. <laughs> and so Walsingham and Cecil knew it was up to them to force Elizabeth's hand. In order to do this, they had to find a way to entrap Mary. That's so, not great. To make a very long story short, oh, no. Walsingham had a number of double agents in his employ. As John Ballard and Anthony Babington colluded to organize the English Catholic gentry against Elizabeth, Walsingham was pretty much aware of every step of the plot. Oh. He just needed to figure out a way to make Mary aware of the plot and get her to consent to Elizabeth's assassination. Stop. That's called entrapment. <laughs> yeah, that's literally what I said. <laughs> oh, sorry. But there's no law against entrapment at I the time. Know. So <laughs> this would end up satisfying the conditions of the bond of association, which sanctioned the execution of anyone caught plotting to assassinate Queen Elizabeth. 
There was just one problem. Elizabeth had issued a decree that prevented Mary from corresponding with the outside world. Oh, yeah. So, Walsingham devised a new plan. One of his double agents was instructed to inform Mary that she could enclose her correspondences in a watertight casing and hide it away in the stopper of a beer barrel. Aren't water in watertight casings like the stomachs of animals? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) And this is how she would be able to receive and send correspondences from the outside world. Unbeknownst to Mary, Walsingham had one of his agents waiting on the reception of that barrel with knowledge of code ciphering. On July 14th, 1586, Mary received a letter that outlined a plan to have her rescued and to dethrone Elizabeth and murder her so that Mary could take her place. Mary wrote a letter in response that consented to the murder of Elizabeth if it resulted in her own liberation, along with sanctioning a Spanish invasion of England to restore Catholicism to the country. Girl. In the final correspondence she sent to sanction the plot, Mary wrote, Let the great plot commence. Stop it. You have a picture of the letter. Stop it. That's all written in code. Yeah. Yep. Although she had no way of knowing it at the time, Mary had signed her own death warrant. Yeah. She literally played right into Walsingham's hands. Wow. So, John Ballard had been among the first of conspirators to be named while imprisoned, and he also implicated Anthony Babington, and that's how the plot got its name. Mary's two secretaries were also arrested, along with several members of the English Catholic gentry. All conspirators were convicted of treason and sentenced to die. The first round of conspirators were hanged, drawn, and quartered. Um, But the executions were apparently so gruesome that the public became outraged by it. Yeah, that's a bit much. So for the second round of conspirators, they were simply hanged until quite dead by the order of Elizabeth. She was like, shit. (laughs) Shit. You guys, maybe let's dial back the barbarity. We are civil. Mary Stewart was arrested on August 11th, 1586 Mm -hmm. during one of her very few allowed um, outings. Outings. It's, I think I've read in the past that like she even saw the soldiers approaching her and like, because Walsingham was so good in his plan, she thought Mm. they were coming to rescue her Mm. and then they arrested her. Oh no. The relationship between Elizabeth and Mary completely deteriorated at this point. Mary refused to acknowledge that Elizabeth or any of her nobles had any authority to put her on trial. Elizabeth grew frustrated and impatient with Mary, no longer able or willing to turn a blind eye to her actions. Yeah, Mary, girl, stick a foot in it and shut up! Like Elizabeth sent one final letter to Mary, offering her cousin mercy and absolution. You have in various ways and manners attempted to take my life and bring my kingdom to destruction by bloodshed. I have never proceeded so harshly against you. It is my will that you answer the nobles and peers of the kingdom as if it were myself present. I therefore require, charge, and command you to make answer for all that I have been well informed of your arrogance. Mary never responded to the letter. Mm. Did she never respond or was her response wailed? I don't think she ever responded. I think at that point she knew what was going to happen and 
it was pointless to respond. So now she shuts up? And she's never going <laughs> to renounce her throne. So You're stubborn for your own good, Mary. I can't like you. <laughs> Although the trial would finally give her the opportunity to speak for herself, Mary was denied access to legal counsel and barred from reviewing the evidence gathered against her. Yes. When she finally stood for her trial, Mary appealed to the jurors dramatically by reminding them that the theater of the whole world is much wider than the kingdom of England. She also said that she was a European prince and a Catholic queen and that she could look to her fellow Catholic princes to avenge her and to future generations to absolve her. Wow. That's aggressive. Mary also reiterated while on trial that she was no subject and would rather die a thousand deaths than acknowledge myself to be one. Mary then went on to claim that she was innocent and she would not dare to damn her soul by conspiring to the destruction of her dearest sister. Unfortunately for Mary, several of her secretaries and servants went on to confess to having witnessed and participated in Mary's plotting. Yeah, probably under duress. Yes. (laughs) But also, Uh. yeah. (laughs) On October 25th, 1586... Mary was convicted of high treason for having conspired to assassinate Queen Elizabeth and sentenced to death. Walsington and Cecil immediately petitioned Elizabeth to sanction the execution, but predictably, Elizabeth stalled and hesitated to put her pen to the order. She dragged her feet. Some say Elizabeth feared the damnation of her own soul if she condemned her cousin to death. Others cite the very practical reasons for her hesitation. Namely, that she might lose the support of Mary's son in Scotland and ignite the wrath of foreign Catholic nations. Mm. Spoiler alert, she does. (laughs) How interesting that he calls Elizabeth mother, but he will still support his own mother. He didn't support Mary ever. Oh, okay. But she was still scared that, like, I have James's support, but, I mean, at this point, James is in his late teens. Yeah. She's like, if I kill his mother, I may lose it. She doesn't, but he's not happy. On February 1st, 1587, Elizabeth officially signed Mary Stuart's death warrant. According to the legend, Cecil and Walsingham shuffled the warrant in a number of correspondences that were given to Elizabeth to sign off on, knowing she would not read them all in full. That is your fault for not reading them all in full. Mary was informed of her execution the evening before it was set to take place the following morning. She was said to spend her last hours of her life in prayer and distributing all her belongings amongst her household. On the morning of February 8, 1587, Mary was taken to the Great Hall at Fotheringhay Castle, where a room full of English nobles were waiting to witness her execution. God, the fact that they like line up for that should just so here's the interesting thing um mm-hmm. they knew to execute mary in public the way they normally would outside the tower of london would probably Incite result in right something yes so this yeah. was done privately behind closed doors private execution how exciting for her <laughs> jesus <laughs> the scaffold was draped in black cloth and at the center sat a block In front of the block was a cushion for Mary to kneel on. Mary wore a gown of black satin trimmed with pearls and long sleeves that reached the floor. 
She wore a golden crucifix around her neck and held a crucifix made of bone in her hands. Ooh, that's fun. When she approached the scaffold, she told her ladies not to weep for her, for her troubles were now finally at an end. The Protestant dean overseeing the execution offered to pray with Mary, but she refused the offer, and he in turn confiscated her rosary. Well, fuck off! This was in direct... Um, Violation of uh, Elizabeth's... Oops. Yes, Elizabeth okay. had said make sure she has all of her um, Catholic... Memorabilia? I'm yeah. That's not the word, but... Whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of her Catholic instruments with her yeah. during her death. The dean then began to pray aloud, reading from the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. Mary was said to have been praying aloud in Latin in accordance with the Catholic tradition, and the dean was trying to drown her out. What a bitch. Fuck off. The girl is about to die. But Mary's, <laughs> Mary's prayers had been louder. Good. When it finally came time to approach the scaffold, Mary refused the help of the executioner to undress her and address the crowd, saying... I was not wont to have my clothes plucked off by such grooms, nor did I ever put off my clothes before such company. Why were their clothes removed? Because um, you don't want a big-ass dress getting in the way of the axe. So you're left in, like, your... Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Mary then proceeded to remove her black gown to reveal a scarlet-red petticoat, Ooh. the color of Catholic martyrdom. Damn. <laughs> Finally, Mary knelt and laid her head upon the block and stretched her arms out. Her final words were, Into thy hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit, which are the words, um, the last words Jesus Christ uttered mm -hmm. before he was martyred. Yep, so, <laughs> martyred. Martyred. So, Mary was very deliberately crafting her own martyrdom. Yeah. Stubborn until the end, I see. <laughs> In the end... It took three blows no. with the axe to officially sever her head. The first blow was said to have missed her neck and struck her in the back of the head. Likely because I think she had one of those weird neck things that got in the way. <sighs> yes. That's terrible. When the deed was finally done, the executioner held up Mary's severed head and announced, God save the queen. According to eyewitnesses, Mary's lips continued to twitch for a full 15 minutes after her head was severed from her body. Mary's dog had also been hiding in her petticoat <gasps> and ran out after she died. I know. Funny. I know. Oh, no. I got scared. I thought you were like, he died too. I'm like, no. He didn't. I think he laid down next to her. That's so sad. After 19 long years of captivity, Mary, Queen of Scots, was finally dead. She was 44 years old. Jesus. Following the death of Mary, the Catholic world erupted into righteous rage. Yeah. Tensions between Protestants and Catholics were further inflamed, just as she said they would be. Catherine de Medici was outraged and horrified to learn that her former daughter-in-law had died in the manner she had. Catholics in France retaliated against Protestants in a new round of targeted attacks. Not that they really needed the excuse. Yeah. Queen Elizabeth was also enraged upon learning of the execution, claiming that, that it had been carried out without her knowledge or consent. Mm. This allowed her the plausible deniability she maintained until her death. Wow. Do you think that was real? The way it sounded 
when I've read about this is basically Elizabeth at one point was like, do what you need to be done to rid me of this um, headache. But she made sure to never directly give the order. She was very strategic. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the thing Elizabeth feared the most occurred when Spain used Mary's murder as the excuse it needed to justify the invasion of England during the Spanish Armada. (laughs) But Spain would fail, shocking the world and delivering Elizabeth her greatest victory. Whoops. Queen Elizabeth would continue to drag her feet when it came to naming an heir, right up to the final moments on her deathbed. But Mary's son is eventually named, and James VI of Scotland becomes James I of England, following Elizabeth's death. Wow. Do you think Mary... I want... I really want... If I lived in this time, and I... Not Mary. Elizabeth. And I knew Elizabeth. I would have gotten her socks to say, if you see this, I'm dragging my feet. <laughs> yeah. On the bottom. <laughs> she she did right up to her deathbed. She, like, refused to name him until, like, the moments before she died. Well. Yeah. James is like, the fuck, dude? He's, like, the waiting, fuck. like, can you, can we, can we I know you're, I know you're dying, but, like, whoa. <laughs> Calling it a little close there. <laughs> in Mary's last written letter, she requested to be buried next to her mother on consecrated ground in France. Elizabeth and James both denied this request. What? Mary's remains are currently interred at Westminster Abbey in England in a chapel opposite of the tomb of Queen Elizabeth I. Why? Yeah. <sighs> Posterity's sake, I guess, but I have a picture of her tomb. Is that it? That's it. God damn. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. It's, it's quite opulent. It's a bit ostentatious. <laughs> Jesus. So, oh my God, there's like... What are those called? Spikes. Why did I have a hard time saying spikes? (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) So we finally come to our final question. Was Mary, Queen of Scots, more difficult or more damsel? I started off this series thinking Mary would be our first damsel, but I have come to the conclusion that she would not see herself in that way at all. Seeing as how she refused to let anyone else write the end of her story, I think it's only fitting that I let her answer this question herself. This is an excerpt from her very last letter to Queen Elizabeth. Accuse me not of presumption if, leaving this world and preparing myself for a better, I remind you that you will one day give account of your charge, in like manner as those who preceded you in it, and that my blood and the misery of my country will be remembered. Your sister and cousin, wrongfully a prisoner, Mary Royne. Yeah. And that is the story of Mary, Queen of Scots. I only knew that there was turmoil between the two queens and mm-hmm. that Mary did not win. <laughs> Mary did not <laughs> Mary win. Mary did not win. <laughs> but she was right. Yeah. Her death sparked all of this chaos. Yeah. I mean, after me comes the flood. Queen, but <laughs> yeah, she she refused. Oh my god. Like Jean the Queen, she refused. Jean the Queen. <laughs> That's my, insane. my sources for this episode were Wikipedia. The Life and Deathline of Mary, Queen of Scots, Mary, Queen of Scots and Bothwell by bbc.co.uk, and then the crownchronicles.co.uk, um, rivalry letters between Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots. Okay, so this is fucking creepy. Is this what you were telling me about? Yes. So <laughs> that picture, that is the casket her letters were founded. Why is there a fate? That is Mary's death mask. What the fuck? Yeah. What the fuck is a death mask? The mask you wear when you're dying. Did you... <laughs> Why are those things real? I, I, I don't know. That is so crazy. 
So is that like her face? Like, I, I don't know. Probably. Creepy. Close enough. Uh, why? why? I I don't know. I'm very curious. We should look I it up. If know what she actually mask. wore. I The way I picture it is that's what she wore when she was going to her execution. I doubt they'd let her wear that. It's creepy. <laughs> Apparently, um, after the executioner lifted up her head, the head fell. And it turns out her red hair was a wig. And her head was revealed to have short gray hair. I know. I know. Wow. This, uh, some, some old school letters are like beautiful. And then this one looks like a five-year-old wrote it. I think that's the letter she wrote to Elizabeth. The final one? One of them. I don't know if it was the final, but yeah. Well, that's upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry to end on a sad note. (laughs) Well, we all knew it was going to end this way. Come on. (laughs) I did tell you her. it ended with her head on the block. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only thing I knew about the story is that it ended with her head on a block. Do you think it, are are you like okay with me starting it that way and then telling you how we got there? Do you think that made sense? I was going to say, does it matter that I'm not? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, If you didn't like it that way, I'm curious. I just, I figured. Yeah. Like, here's the end of the story, and now I'm going to tell you how we get there. I love when movies start like that. I watched a yeah. movie yesterday. It was actually, this is irrelevant to the podcast, I'm going to say it anyway. It's actually a movie that I had no interest in, but I saw that Alex Pettifer plays in it, mm-hmm. and, like, I really like Alex Pettifer, yeah. and I'm really sad he's not in more movies. Um, but I watched it. It was really good, but it was very much like a story about child abuse and how... Ooh, that's intense. ...how your life can implode because of something that happened to you. It yeah, so sad and such a slow burn, but like amazing. Then I found out he directed it. I was like, "That's." Yeah. I don't know why I started yeah. saying that, but that's fine. <laughs> there was a reason. That that reminds me. I was listening to um, a podcast recently, and it was talking about how we inherit our parents' trauma when they don't deal with it, mm-hmm. and that trauma becomes generational. Oh yeah, and we don't even know why we react oh. to certain things the way we do but it's it's stuff we absorbed even in infancy that's actually perfectly relevant because this movie started with him sitting in an interview room across from a sheriff and the sheriff asked why he why he killed her and the movie starts with this family is in turmoil alex's character is taking care of the family because the mom went to prison for killing the dad interesting and then the movie ends with him going to jail because his sister killed the woman she he was sleeping with. Interesting. Yeah, okay. it was like it's like it it's literally cyclical. that cycle. Yeah. yeah, so that's interesting. And the reason I had said that was because it started with you knew he was going to kill someone, and yeah. throughout the whole movie you you're like, know which woman in his is in his life is he going to kill? Yeah, I was like, it's going to be her. No, it's going to be her. That's definitely gonna be her. Damn it. <laughs> that was a really good movie. Okay, so I know I said I was going to try to do Mary's story justice, but are you team Mary or team Elizabeth? I think we figured out at the end that I was definitely team Elizabeth yes! without even trying I mean, to be. Oh, that's so terrible. Oh, no. I'm sorry, but Mary, like, <laughs> yes. She made a lot of horrible choices. Well, yes. Okay, and she so was but, stubborn. Like, yeah, a lot of it was, like, her being moved around and upon, but, like, she made her own choices. She had she options. She chose to be that obstinate and that, like, I'm not going to give up. Like you had a choice to retire happily with your son and you didn't take it because she you wanted. She could have just lied. Yeah. She could have been like, yeah, sure. I'll be dowager yeah. queen just to get her freedom. And she yeah. didn't. She's just, just too self-righteous. Yeah. So like that is in no way saying that she deserved her death, but like, no, yeah. she 
she was responsible for everything up and oh well, not everything but like a lot up until that point yeah like she her choices led her there just as I, much as anyone else's did <laughs> i will say that the thing i like the most about mary's story um i love that she crafted her own ending yes it was like the only thing in her control at that point yeah and it did lead to all of this chaos across Europe yeah. but she was very much just like I have no control over anything except I'm gonna take for this. this narrative and turn it on its head exactly <laughs> yeah that, that was cool. that's that is what made me be like she's not a damsel yeah. she refused she had very many damsel moments but yeah up until the end she was but really still <laughs> and her difficultness was a problem sometimes yeah 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 that's so, a lesson for us all. Stay difficult, but be smart about how difficult you are. Yeah, if you get yeah. the option to retire in Scotland as a dowager queen and just retire, maybe take it. Yeah, take just it. Just a thought. Yeah, you can plan <laughs> afterwards, but get yourself out of prison. I think what's, what is that called when basically, like, she outplayed her hand. Yeah. Know when you've outplayed your hand, mm -hmm. know when to walk away, yeah. know when to give up. Yeah, know when you're at a stalemate and move on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh Kat has come up with a very I interesting didn't come up with it. I found it on a website. <laughs> a random question. We I love it though. We didn't I'm have a random question this. and we had options, but then I was like, I'm gonna look at a couple more questions and then I ran upon this one and now we're doing it. Uh Whitney said one of our other random questions, she actually used it with like a friend that oh, she yeah. was driving Use around. All of our random yeah. questions with your friends. Yeah, if you end up using them, I love We want to hear your stories. <laughs> yeah, so what is our random question <laughs> so for the episode? Question is ridiculous and I love it. <laughs> If you can transport one furious elephant into any point in history, where would you put it? <laughs> so off the top of my head, I want to say Mary's execution. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, it just appears and everyone's like, wait, what? Oh my God. Um, I'm going to think more about it, but do you have a... I would love to put it on... <sighs> Why can I not think of her name? Ava Green played her. Why am I Artemisia? Doing... Yeah, Artemisia. Just like put a random mad elephant on one of those ships. <laughs> I think the Persians did use elephants. They use elephants. That's probably why it popped in my head. <laughs> but I just want an angry elephant to be like, fuck this shit. And like just <laughs> make a make one of the ships capsize. Yeah. That would be. You're just like, okay, so I'm not mad anymore because there's an angry elephant that seems madder. Like this seems like problematic. I would like... be an angry elephant if you put me on a ship. Yeah. Like, fair. yeah. Fair. I, I don't know why. But for whatever reason, I want to watch Eleanor of Aquitaine go up against an angry elephant. Oh that <laughs> elephant would kneel that before That elephant her. would be like, I love you, queen. That <laughs> elephant would kneel before yeah. her and be like, I am your mount now. Yeah, yeah. You, you may know? ride me. That's I'm not right. awkward, but. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, bare-breasted Eleanor Aquitaine? Yes. Eleanor of Aquitaine in the Crusades yes. riding an elephant. That would be perfect. Someone paint that. <laughs> um, the only, for whatever reason, I'm picturing... Um, the Russian Revolution of 1917 and the fall of the Romanovs yes. as they're trying to wrap to round up the Romanov children. This the elephant's like, get on my back. Angry elephant <laughs> just comes in and destroys everything. Oh. And Anastasia gets to escape <gasps> with Alexei. <laughs> um, oh hey, it's a happy ending. It's a happy ending with the furious elephant. Yes. <laughs> Glorious. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> I feel like all of our episodes have a moment where so you can like, throw a furious elephant and it would be hilarious. Yeah, like <laughs> Cleopatra coming to meet Mark Antony in the Mediterranean. Remember when she had her yeah. like epic boat ride? 
all of a sudden an angry elephant just runs through the scene and everyone's like I can think of a couple right. I can think of a couple moments like in recent history where I would love to see it like what like any of the presidential campaigns for the last like oh my 10 god years. that would be hilarious but- <laughs> It can't get any worse unless you throw an angry elephant into the Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, the Revolutionary War. Yeah. <laughs> Anything. Yeah. Oh that's a... Somebody needs to do just like a montage of that. That would right. be hilarious. Where would you guys throw an angry elephant? <laughs> um, there was one question where it was like, if you could, if you could snap your fingers and be transported into any point in time, where would you go or like would you want that power and I'm like yes <laughs> I would I would want to be in the room when Claudius died and Agrippina made had to like set everything going yeah in the palace to make sure Nero yes. was crowned the next emperor I would just want to see that, that moment. yeah that would be amazing to witness yeah. for sure all right. <laughs> well, you have been listening to Difficult Damsels. Um, you can help our podcast out by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can write to us at difficult.damsels at gmail.com. We're also on social media, uh, mostly just Facebook and Instagram. Literally just Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Difficult Damsels podcast. Hi, Anya. We haven't seen you in a while. Oh, it's our third co-host. Hi. Oh. Hi, sweetie. You're going to let me pet you and not bite me? Are you going to tell people to stay difficult? She's like, no, I approve of this episode. There we go. Oh, oh. God, is everything falling <laughs> Hi. Hi, sweetie. You think there so? we go. Have you guys yeah. missed Anya? We missed her. She just woke up from a nap. She did. She's angry. The Grand Duchess. <laughs> the Grand but yeah. Um, stay difficult, maybe. Yeah, not stay as difficult, difficult as Mary Queen of Scots. Smart, but... difficult options. Yeah, choices? Options? <laughs> Oh, uh, option sounds good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>